You are listening to the Blockchain Dialogues podcast. All views expressed on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be taken as financial advice. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Blockchain Dialogues podcast with your hosts Krishna and Nikhil. In this podcast series, we analyze various cutting-edge technologies and projects in the field of blockchains. DLTs and cryptocurrencies. In today's episode, we are joined by Pradeep Goel, who is the CEO at Solvecare, which is a blockchain-based healthcare management platform. With that, Pradeep, a very warm welcome to the show from both Nikhil and myself. It's my pleasure, Krishna and Nikhil. Thank you for having me. Welcome, welcome. So, Pradeep, uh, you have more than twenty-five years of experience in the healthcare space, uh, working as CEO, CTO, CIO for different organizations. So, would you like to walk us through your journey a little bit, and uh, you know how it has led you towards blockchain and crypto today? Sure. So, um, yes, I've been in healthcare all my working life. Um, when I came to the U.S., I was very young, and I had joined university to finish my second degree. And during that time frame, I started a company um, called Dakota Imaging with my brother. And that company went on to become a really big player in the health insurance claims processing space. Um, and through that first early years, about 12 years, really got to work with all the major payers in the United States, all the major blues and many Medicaid and Medicare organizations, blues meaning the Blue Cross Blue Shield organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had the good fortune of being mentored by really, really smart, cutting edge thinkers in healthcare administration. Following that, I became the, um, uh, my company was sold to WebMD. I became WebMD CTO and then the responsibility shifted to working with all the payers in the United States because WebMD served practically every payer who was, uh, serving any, offering any kind of a benefit or policy product in the U.S. So that expanded the field of learning dramatically and then we also had to deal with providers so the my perspective changed to a true holistic how does the billing process begin in the provider's office and how does it get paid on the insurance side and everything in between Um, following that um, i became the cio of blue cross blue shield one of my clients and my best closest clients and uh, over there then i learned how an insurance company operates internally and how it manages the differences between employer, employer benefits and individual benefits and FSAs, HSAs, HRAs, and all the other things that go with running an insurance business. Uh, in the same time frame, Obamacare was being launched. So I became very involved with uh, Obamacare implementation. Um, and through that, I learned all the public policy and how public policy is implemented in healthcare and how do you deal with, you know, the needs of 100 million people, the poor, the rich, the elderly, the young, and the whole thing about public health policy and population health management. And along the way, while I was doing all that, I was also building other companies. So uh, there was another company called EngagePoint. There was another company called My Health Funds. So I always had this dual track of an entrepreneur, you know, building startups and launching them in the healthcare space, but also the 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 ability to work in the large health systems and with government and then as a parent and as a you know my i have two kids so obviously they have health needs and they were born and my son needs a lot of health care through some developmental challenges that he faced when he was young so of course we are a above average user of health care because of uh, the health conditions of my son so that brought me face to face with the reality of what does it mean and what does it take to actually interact with the health system when you are a consumer and not a privileged executive. And then I should probably mention that I, while I was at Blue Cross, I also was involved with projects in China where we were building a third party administration system for the government to administer claims and benefits. And while I was, um, um, and there are a few other things that I did. I was involved with the health savings account. Uh, launch when President Bush launched that whole health savings account initiative in the U.S., which 80 million people use. And I was mm-hmm. very involved in the early days of that. So I've had the good fortune, in a nutshell, of experiencing healthcare from a insurance 
public health, consumer, and government, uh, as well as employer and employee perspective. And that, that gave me the ability to look at healthcare more holistically than most people can. And so, so where did the jump or the leap into blockchains and the intuition that blockchains can help in this field can come from? Yeah, so the blockchain in itself is, is never a goal, never was, never will be. The objective here is to build a better healthcare delivery fabric. In all my years, 30 plus years, I have overseen billions of dollars in IT spend, you know, writing con checks to vendors like IBM and Deloitte and Accenture and KPMG, Boozell and Hamilton, Cognizant, Trizetto. These are traditional vendors who give you systems and solutions if you want to benef- administer benefits or manage healthcare delivery and payments. Mm-hmm. Then on the other side, you got Epic, Cerner, McKesson, Athena, all scripts. And these are systems on which clinical delivery is currently based. And they're all stifling in the sense that they all are built in a, a organizational centric model where an organization, be it a hospital or an insurance company, owns the system and we all get to use the system as, as, um, as authorized users, but all the data access logic control resides with that single organization, be it my organization as a insurance executive, as a CIO, or be it WebMD organization, or be it hospital organization, be it government organization. There is some entity with godlike powers that coordinates, manages, and controls everything related to healthcare delivery, either its revenue cycle or its uh, its care delivery or its benefit administration. You always have to cede all control and authority to a single entity, and that automatically creates a orthogonal relationship with everybody else. So, if I'm mm-hmm. an insurance company and I want you to use my you know, um, uh, case management system or care management system or adjudication or benefits, whatever, everybody else, doctor, patient, pharmacy, lab, specialist, you know, employer or employee, they all have to subscribe to my system and trust that my system is built with the right intent and the data that they feed into the system and get out of system is truthful and, and uh, to their best interest, which never happens. So the problem that we have in healthcare is that because we have a deliberately adversarial scenario where one entity needs care, the other entity delivers care, and a third entity dem- decides how much the entity who received care should have gotten and the entity who delivered care should get paid. You have this fundamentally adversarial system where any one party owning the system and control over everything will ultimately benefit themselves about at the expense of other two parties. I mean, even right. if they don't do that, the other two parties don't know that. Mm-hmm. So therefore, this whole idea that we can keep building another Epic, another Cerner, another Cognizant system, even another Salesforce.com based case management system, they're all flawed. Because in the end, you can build the best tech, but the critical stakeholders will not and should not and cannot trust it. So then right. you end up with great tech. And, um, you know, then we come to the final issue, which is why everybody keeps scratching their head, how come healthcare is slow to adapt and adopt technology? Well, it isn't the technology that's the difficult part. It's the business model and the relationships in healthcare that are the reason why healthcare doesn't move forward. Because whenever you see where these adversarial relationships don't exist, advancement is happening. So let me point out a very simple fact. Our administrative processes, our population health management, our claims adjudication, our revenue cycle management, be it in the US or be it in Singapore, are not progressing. They're adversarial by nature. But when you look at clinical trials or improvement in medicine, those are progressing. Why? Because you don't have this multi-party adversarial relationships. A company wants to invent a new drug, they can do that. And you don't need an insurance company's approval or a patient's you know, uh, out-of-pocket expenses. You can just do that, which is why medical devices keep coming up, new drugs keep coming to market. They have their own challenges, but those are not based on collaboration and coordination with stakeholders who don't trust each other. But when it comes to healthcare delivery and healthcare administration, that is the reason why we don't see any advancement per se. We see everybody nibbling on the edges. Even with 
a budget of practically a trillion dollars a year to invest in healthcare IT and administration each year, we don't see any advancement because the business model is not aligned with the technology stack. So I decided to build a new tech stack. Yeah. So Pradeep, actually, before uh, we jump into one question out here, so we mentioned that this is a a three-headed hydra, so to speak, right? So you have the payer, you have the provider, and you have the cons- uh, the consumer of the uh, healthcare. Uh, but it seems to me that of these three heads, two of them are really, really large, right? So the payer and the provider basically are much bigger and more, on the average, more uh, uh, powerful than the consumer, right? The end user. Yes. So, uh, I mean, so when you say this is an adversarial relationship, it's an adversarial relationship between two parties or three parties where one of the parties really does not have too much power in it, uh, doesn't really get much of a say in it. In a, in a, if it is just two pairs, there's just the pair and the provider, what's what's stopping them from just colluding and saying, hey, okay, we can screw over the third guy and, and get away with stuff? Yeah, and that's a fair question, but um, let's take that apart. Both pair and provider need the patient to make money. If there is no patient, there is no provider client, and there is no patient, there is no premium pair. So both of them recognize that the patient is a source of revenue. But but over the last 50 years, I think the industry has evolved to where the patient is largely this this um, enfranchise in every significant decision making. And how do you restore the power to the patient is actually one of the greatest promises of technologies that are emerging, you know, whether you are a fan of blockchain or not, or you are a big believer in AI or not, or it doesn't really matter. The point is that the tech has to fundamentally restore equity to the relationship between these three parties. And that's actually the reason why I started SolveCare is to restore the balance between the three. Now, right. what is on the side of the patient is regulation. What is on the side of the patient is all the laws written to protect the patient. But those laws have been in some ways sub- circumvented or or, 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 uh, or they are written in a way that the patient is made to choose between maintaining their control over their identity and data or getting care. Well, that choice is a is a false choice. You're going to always take care over your rights. When yes. your kids are sick, you're going to give up all the rights you have to give up to get them to see the doc. And that false uh, uh, equivalence that we see in the market is also, f- yeah, is first built into the current IT infrastructure, but second, also, it's as a result of the IT infrastructure, you cannot bring the patient really into a conversation between patient provider and uh, payer provider patient uh, interaction is not happening. So mm-hmm. the problem is the solution. The solution is the problem. We're going to have to find a way, and we have found a way, to restore power over information, payment, and choice to the patient. If you don't do that, then yeah, you're going to have a limited success. Not saying that you can have no success by optimizing the payer-provider interaction, but it's still, I think, a fringe benefit where patient doesn't see the benefit. So in a nutshell, Nikhil, a open fabric where the patient is an equal right participant as is the provider who is a supplier of care. He's a vendor in effect to mm-hmm. the patient and a third party payer who is essentially the auditor uh, and the administrator uh, and the custodian of, if you will, patient's funds. The all three need to have a role. Their roles are important, but the fabric must be open and transparent, but neither side can exploit the other. And both sides can interact with each other properly. All three sides can. All right. So, Pradeep, I just want to go back to one of the points that you mentioned that, you know, uh, there are these already well-established systems that have been in the industry, you know, that that, that all the the different companies in the healthcare space, they they have been using for many, many years, right? We've had kind of similar conversations uh, anytime we've talked about enterprise adoption, whether it's healthcare or any other industry. So, beyond the philosophy of, you know, decentralization and you know, what is best for humanity as a whole, right? Uh, it, it kind of boils down to, you know, for the adoption of blockchain as a tech in any of these systems, the primary factors that, that an enterprise is going to look at is basically if it's making their operations cheaper, is it making the data more secure, or is the customer willing to pay more for a solution that runs on a blockchain? 
So yeah, I mean, and and I know that you've 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 uh, played many roles in your career, you know, where you have been a decision maker, you know, when it has come to in actually adopting a tech or not, right? So would would love to hear your take on that. Yeah, absolutely. Operational efficiency, cost efficiency, you know, increased revenue or revenue retention in the form of customer retention are hallmarks of every business. So you, those are always the key drivers you can say in the macro sense of every industry. But if you peel it, if you go a little bit deeper, there are other drivers which are even more important at times. The first is risk management. The insurance is all about managing risk and there are different kinds of risk they're managing. They're managing the risk of, you know, people getting sick or the cost of care or the cost of pharmaceutical products, cost of devices, fraud, waste and abuse, but there's also risk of a failure to comply. And as I said, law is on the side of the patient by and large. So when people do bad things and they get caught, they get severely punished, including being put out of business. So in that sense, uh, there are multiple drivers. Now, let's take it very specifically. Okay, I'm an insurance CIO. Come to me like it was five years ago. And you say to me, Pradeep, adopt blockchain. It's going to do all kinds of wonderful things. And my first reaction is I'm going to have a sort of a mental checklist of about five to seven items that I'm going to ask you. And if you can't answer in a, in a compelling way that you're going to answer my these there's sort of a seven item mental checklist, I probably am not going to adopt blockchain or AI or cloud or anything because I have to see a compendium of reasons why I would bring this tech in. The first is, you know, is it proven and compliant? Is it proven? Am I the first? The Because I don't want to be the first because I'm dealing with people's lives and health. Second, does it have a compelling value proposition for my key stakeholders? How will the provider use this technology? How will the patient use this technology? And how will my internal staff be able to use this technology? If it is too difficult for any of these three stakeholders to use, I'm pretty skeptical about it, but the tech cannot be such that it adds operational cost, not just to me, but to my key stakeholders, my doctors and my patients. Because remember, as an insurance company, my doctors are actually a very valuable asset for me. If every doctor stops taking my insurance company, I go out of business. So even though it's an adversarial relationship, as an insurance company, I really need to have a, a robust and happy pool of doctors who accept my product. Otherwise, nobody will buy my product. So there is that element, usability. So one is proven, the third, second is usability. The third biggie is, is it compliant? You know, am I going to be able to prove compliance into the data security and privacy? Because as a CIO, my, that's my number one worry that I'll wake up on a Tuesday morning and find that somebody's breached, uh, you know, some database or some server and we are now liable for HIPAA violation to the tune of $50,000 per leaked record. So it's a big nightmare. So, okay. Are you compliant? Who holds the data? Who can, where is the data retained? How is the data handled in flight? So I'll deal with that question in my head. The fourth question I will ask you definitively is, are you going to reduce my medical loss ratio, which is the amount of money insurance company pays out to the doctor or the hospital or the pharmacy in the course of a year for a patient, for a policyholder? So is my MLR going to go down? If it does, that's great. If you can actually increase my MLR, I'm going to have to think very, very hard. Uh, then there are a few other questions I'll be asking. And the most important in that will be integration. I already have all these tools and technologies and platforms and processes, and you're bringing in some new widget. And where does it fit in my process? Are you, am I going to have to change my existing processes to fit you in? And is there enough ROI for me to do that? Or do you extend my process or do you replace it? Because replacing processes, even though it might sound sexy and appealing, is very disruptive to my organization. So I need to understand what are you really going to do? And the, and the next one is, is the cost and risk of implementation. How much time and money is going to take for me to prove your technology works? And how much effort will it go for me to operationalize it? And am I going to have to bet millions of dollars before you can show me something working? Or will I be able to get something working in for a few thousand dollars in a few days or a few weeks? Because I also have a resource limitation. I can't just throw people at every idea and technology that comes my way. So these seven things would drive my decision. So when you think of blockchain purely as a tech, that's probably not going to pass muster. But when you think of something like SolveCare, which is a platform on which I can quickly innovate and quickly address unsolvable issues that I have today in terms of 
my costs or in terms of my operational efficiency or most importantly retaining and gaining more providers and retaining and gaining more patients then i'm going to listen to you so those are the factors that'll drive adoption in the end perfect i think that that really answers my question really well and i think uh, with that detailed insight into all the different factors you know that that a ceo or a cio or a cto would be looking at i think it would is is the perfect time to kind of go into what is solve care uh tell us a little bit about the platform how it works and uh, we we know that it's a layer 2 solution uh you have a token called solve uh so yeah maybe go into a little bit about how the platform works what is the purpose of the token and all of those aspects so let's take it from the top down so solve care is first and foremost a platform and the best analogy i can give you is this like salesforce.com or sap for healthcare and it is designed to serve three different business problems but all those problems need to be solved in the same platform because one of solving one of them at a time doesn't work for the reasons i described earlier it would be operationally and risk and cost wise not worth it so the platform has to address all three pillars of a typical healthcare organization what are they first pillar is clinical delivery can this platform help me improve my delivery of care either through my clinical delivery organization or through my patient engagement organization whoever i am i have to improve my clinical delivery model even for an insurance company clinical delivery models are critically important because that determine whether the people are getting the right care not too much not too little and they are getting well and not remaining sick for longer than medically they should have to then the uh, second Pradeep, uh, yeah? just a quick sorry to interrupt uh, can you just quickly describe or explain what is clinical delivery what do you mean by that okay so clinical delivery is the function of delivering care to the patient so okay. in so that it can sense, be any kind of care right it could be any kind of care is basically a the fun it's a function of making sure that when pradeep walks into a doctor office or a specialty office or a hospital or a pharmacy he is getting the care he needs in the most efficient way but mo- it's not even the most efficient way he's getting the right care so okay. that the prisc- that the care i'm getting you know i'm going to go if i have certain disease condition that should be dealt by an endocrinologist that i'm able to see an endocrinologist but if i don't have a need for endocrinologist nobody sending me to this endocrinologist for the fun of it right so right. it's getting okay. the right care timely sense the second pillar of every healthcare system is benefit administration making sure that we understand who is pradeep which program he's entitled to whether he's commercially insured whether he has medicare or medicaid whether he should be he's um, he's entitled to certain benefits that are sponsored by government or by city or state or his insurance company or his employer uh how much should he pay how much well we'll come to the payment a little bit later that's the benefit administration side of it which is primarily what an insurer or a tpa or a medicare agency or a medicaid agency concerns itself with because they don't employ doctors they are administering the benefits that govern what care i can get where i can get it when i can get it and uh uh and what's the process of accessing the care system so that's the benefit administration side and every clinical delivery system has a counterpart the the two one side of the coin is care delivery the other side of the coin always is benefit administration because one doesn't happen without the other uh and then there is a third dimension to that which most people don't think about but every health system struggles with is payment model how is what's the revenue cycle management who bills whom how much how much does the patient pay and when who determines the cost of care who determines the right market value of that care how are we actually uh, ensuring that everybody pays their fair share and how do we make sure that the the care is being right care is being paid for at the right level and at the right time and nobody is taking advantage of the other person the doctor isn't overbilling the insurance company is not underpaying the patient is aware of what they're supposed to pay and don't pay more or less out of pocket than they should that's your third dimension right so when you put this triangle together around the patient that defines our healthcare system in the US and it actually defines a healthcare system for every human being on the planet benefit deli- administration revenue cycle management or payment administration if you will and clinical care delivery and if you don't have a single platform solve addressing the fluid 
transactions between all three because transactions move from the clinical realm to the administrative realm to the financial realm very quickly. Then you end up with this current mess that you have already where one system does A, A, B, C and the other system does B, C, D and the third system does D, E, F and you have to connect all of these systems and it never works and therefore we have all this extraordinary level of waste and chaos. So one platform that allows you to configure clinical care models, benefit administration uh, pathways and payment flows, one platform that would solve a lot of issues. But then if you put that platform in the hands of one entity, we're all really up the creek without a paddle. That entity would have superpowers greater than the government because they would have right. everything. And that's an extraordinarily risky thing to do. There's a great article that Andreessen Horowitz wrote recently, last earlier this year, where they envisioned a, you know, the world's biggest company will be healthcare. And they envisioned somebody who could do all these three things together. And logically, it's absolutely correct to say that you bring these three dimensions together under one umbrella, it'll be more efficient. It'll be a lot more effective probably and, co and reduce cost. But the public dimension of that is, are we really willing to put the entire nation's health and wealth in the hands of a company? If you can convince a population to do that, good luck, but that's not going to happen. Right. So while we agree with the premise, our premise says you're absolutely right in recent Horowitz. You in fact are saying what we believe in, except nobody should own that system. It should be open, open source and immutable and indestructible. And that's where blockchain becomes very attractive. How can we achieve an indestructible open fabric for healthcare, which allows you to configure clinical, financial and, and benefit flows? and roles and relationships and data models and everything on one fabric. So everything collaborates and coordinates very well, but there is no one entity that can singularly benefit from it because that entity will not just become the biggest company in the world. It will also become the most powerful company in the world and nobody wants that. So that's where my vision comes back to solve care. Yes, we got to have this open fabric, no doubt. We got to have this platform that Everybody can trust because they don't need to trust each other to trust the platform. But it must not be in the singular control of a company, including self-care, because that's not good for society. And that's not going to gain traction anyway, because the risk could be too great. So that's um, the value of an open Web3 architecture and a blockchain-based platform where we can say, you don't need to trust me to trust the platform. Okay. So th that's great. That kind of lays out the principles uh, behind uh, the platform. And I think the next logical step is to go, uh, go into, okay, how, how do you actually build a system that meets those principles? Right. So there are a few components uh, that we've talked about, uh, we've seen in the solve.care website. One is obviously the solve token. Uh, another one would be uh, the solve uh, chain, uh, which is a level two chain. And uh, then there is the solve uh, marketplace, right? Where you, you can deploy dApps. So, uh, so let's, let's start from the bottom, right? So the, obviously when you, we're saying that uh, this is a blockchain, it's going to be a distributed ledger. And the idea essentially is that, okay, this will somehow solve the issue of concentration of power. So can you describe how your particular blockchain works uh, and, and in, in terms of how does the, uh, what is the network like? Uh, are there, who's, who are the validators? What, how, what is the consensus? All of that to kind of explain how the solved chain ledger is uh, transparent and uh, immutable and and kind of solves this uh, concentration of data aspect of the of the problem yes there, there's a number of questions so you have packed into one and there's mm -hmm. a very insightful question so let's break it apart so first is that we start with the end goal in mind the whatever solution we bring to market it has to be able to serve the three different stakeholders, the patient, the provider, the payer. So if you look at the patient, they want to be able to interact with whatever healthcare delivery system or healthcare uh, service provider 
or a uh, or a regulator or a or a uh, benefit administrator sponsor employer in this case so for them we have built the care wallet mm-hmm. so the idea of the care wallet is it's a single point wallet which allows you to manage not just your healthcare data but also your healthcare relationships meaning you can establish relationships through the wallet with the other wallet holder based on their role so if you have a wallet in the role of a doctor i can build a peer to peer communication channel with you real time and we can talk to each other and i can be sure that you are a doctor we'll come to how i know that later but the wallet is how i interact with healthcare of the future uh, and that wallet gives me infinite use cases so so a wallet in in your particular uh, system is more than a let's say a container that holds coins it also has uh, certain attributes that identify it as a particular player in the payer provider and patient ecosystem correct so it has identity it has your role it has your competency if your role requires a certain competency to be proven it has your medical right. assets your data it has your digital assets like your tokens and it also okay. has it is also a gateway to the healthcare solution that you want to participate in whatever that solution mm-hmm. might be and there is a uh, the notion is that one wallet every solution in the world uh, every wallet can connect to any solution in the world but you would join the solutions that are relevant to you and these solutions are called networks so we come to the other side now so now mm-hmm. you have the second stakeholder which is let's say pick one pair the insurance company mm-hmm. so there we have given them a full stack platform on which they can author solutions that have some very unique properties so again we talk talked about let's play the role of cio again i want to build i want to engage all my physicians in my state and all my patients in my state to effectively collaborate to achieve better healthcare because i'm looking for lower cost and more healthier population that's how i control costs is keep people healthy and get them out of the hospital faster but i also have tons of rules and regulations i need to comply and i'm not supposed to interfere between patient and doctors clinical you know conversation so i could launch mm-hmm. on the platform what is called a new care network that would that has totally transparent logic so that care network is defines the rules of engagement that that i am asking patient and doctor to follow because those are the rules per law and per their agreement with me as a insurance policy issuer that they will follow so that care network will it becomes published on the chain and as part of the network there is something called the care protocol and that protocol defines all the care cards that parties can send and receive to each other and all the logic of underneath the care cards including data and uh, transaction logic is on the chain which means that before you join my network you can be certain that there is nothing else that can happen other than what's on the chain all the logic of this network is on the chain so it can be independently verified audited and because the chain doesn't change this logic will determine the interaction between you and the and the doctor or you and me so now what we have done is so, you flip the equation uh, sorry just yeah. one last sentence yeah, what i've done please. is instead of saying trust me i'm saying trust the platform the platform shows you everything that happens when you send a card or receive a card and i cannot change it cuz it's all on the blockchain the logic is on the chain so if you use my network you will see the protocol that drives that behavior if you don't like the network don't join but you don't need to trust me everything is on the chain the data logic itself so right. uh, so a couple of points so one basically just so that i understand the payer basically sets up a network along with a protocol right so this is not uh, like a contract or a smart contract or something like that it's actually an entire uh, n- uh, protocol that he deploys am i going down the wrong track here or is that is that correct or well uh, the the protocol automatically gets converted into smart contracts so yes there are lots of smart contracts when the protocol is published in the chain it actually spits out the smart contracts to enforce the protocol perfect okay so that leads me to the second point i had over there uh or clarification was well typically uh i i don't have that much experience with the us healthcare system 
but even in the Indian and the German healthcare system, for example, uh, every time you sign up for an insurance or an insurer, right, uh, the first thing you're confronted with is reams and reams of paper and contracts and rules and regulations and uh, all of these business things, right? So is the payer expected to uh, take all of those things and implement them programmatically? Uh, is, is that the expectation? Or is there some kind of, okay, uh, we'll just sign a few documents and that kind of implies this is the contract, but there is a subset of that that kind of in, is enforceable as programmatic rules. Because when you say transparency in the protocol, I know exactly what I'm getting into. I, I'd like to kind of understand what that actually means. Yeah, so there are a few dimensions to that. First is, uh, as we talked about, you need anybody that I build a system for as an insurer or as a hospital or as Medicare or as NHS in UK or as the the province of Canada built saying I, we want to offer better health care to our residents. It doesn't matter what population group you're serving and who you are, you will ultimately have a defined set of entities. There are some care providers, there are some care receivers, there is a care administrator or administrators and they need to collaborate with each other, and they all have extended extend entities in that patient is not just a patient, but a family behind the patient. Provider is not just a provider, but a team of care providers behind the provider. And insurer is not just an entity, but a whole set of rules and regulations that they are representing. So these are complex entities, but regardless, these entities need to interact with each other and collaborate. Those collaborations are according to either business rules, or they are defined by uh, regulatory rules and 99.9% of the time, both. So whatever those rules are that govern are well understood in the market. But what the challenge that we solve is you automate or you define those relationships on the protocol, so which then allows parties to interact with each other safely. And it allows them to enforce their rights uh, and, and, uh, and their uh, controls over the transaction. And third parties who are in the network can verify that things are flowing correctly by analyzing the events without having access to the data. The whole point of this is that you should be able to define the business processes in business process language that protocol gives you. And right. the protocol will do the technical work for you. It will spit out the smart contracts. This platform will absorb the protocol and create the technical framework on which the system runs. So you right. are defining the business processes and the protocol gets interpreted by the platform to generate the technical functional framework that you would have to code normally. Okay, so that's one of the value adds of uh, SolveCare is that uh, you provide a domain-specific language, a DSL, if you will, that defines all the uh, low-level uh, or rather the business uh, or business entities and business uh, transactions that can happen and we provide a way for you for for the payer to kind of define okay these are my business processes in in terms of a high level uh, language which then automatically gets converted into the actual code that is running in the network yeah so there are different levels of what we can generate typically as i said we have distilled everything down to relationship management so what you do is as a as a healthcare institution you first define the roles that you want to include in your network. Let's say you come up with a dozen roles, patient, patient, family member, nurse, primary care doctor, specialty care doctor, radiologist, you know, claims adjudicator, employer, employee, whatever. It's your network. It's your universe. It's how your business runs. Um, mm -hmm. and, you, and you can imagine a new business model because you don't have to keep doing things in the old broken way. So you can say, you know what, I'm going to create a much more uh, patient-centric healthcare delivery system uh, using patient in the center. You can do that in the current IT infrastructure, but with Solka, you could easily define a patient-centric healthcare model where you'd create, if you think of patient as entity A, you could create an A, B, A, C, A, D, A, E, A, F, A, G relationships. It'll take you 10 minutes. Once you define those relationships, then for each relationship, you define the transaction set called journeys. You say, look, when patient doctor talk to each other, I want to allow for uh, appointment, I want to allow for exchange of medical records. I want to allow for prescription. I want to allow for a referral. And I'll allow, but I'm not going to allow for a bill. Why? Because I want the doctor to send the bill to me, not to the patient. 
Okay, so you define those journeys. Now, based on those journeys, the smart contracts get generated as to what journeys are permitted. Once you have defined this for A, B, A, C, A, D, let's say it takes you a couple of hours to do so. Then you say, okay, what is the user experience I want in the journey? And that user experience is defined by our D app called Care Card. And a Care Card is a very easy to understand and de- uh, real-time uh, da- app that moves between wallets. So I can define a simple card, very simple card that actually we just built for somebody. It's a card that says, how are you feeling today? And the card goes from a family member to a elderly patient saying, how are you feeling today? With a thumbs up, thumbs down. And if they do thumbs down, it asks three more questions. Do you, are you feeling, you know, are you at risk? Are you feeling, do you have a lot of pain? Or are, do you have any economic issues, health issues, or other physical ailment that we need to know about? And that card is a D app that was built in about an hour. And that uh, D app can go from pay, from somebody who's concerned to the patient. When the patient responds no, it automatically triggers a message to the doctor's wallet saying patient A is has now reported three days of severe headache. We need to intervene. So now it can create a different dynamic, right? Instead of it being a patient picking the phone and calling the doctor, we can notify the doctor's admin team that you probably want to bring in grandma for a checkup or, or send somebody home if you're in a social services scenario. So suddenly we start to see a very different dynamic than our currently published subscribe model that we have in healthcare. Cool. Once you define these journeys and you define the cards, then you do a test run. You activate test wallets and you say, try it out. Let's give it to 100 patients, five doctors, three nurses, and let's try it out for a day or a week and see how people like or don't like it. And then you can go back and adjust your journeys very quickly. And then you can try version two. And you're going to learn through these iterations over the course of a month what you probably would take you five years to figure out in the real world. And, and once you have done that, then you can roll it out you know, into wallets and you can say, look, I'm going to open up these wallets for only wallets in the state of Florida, but I'm not going to open them up to wallets in California just yet. And you can do incremental rollout because all you have to do is to go in and change the eligibility parameters in the network and let more and more wallets in. Or if you want to take somebody out, you can do so. But once they're in, you can't remove them. Once they're in, they're in because it's a blockchain-based system. Once my data interacts with the chain, I'm a permanent node and I cannot be removed. I can be disabled, but I can be removed. So those are other properties of the system. If I could just jump in real quick. So I, I think, you know, Pradeep, you explained really well, you know, what the relationship between uh, a patient and a healthcare provider would look like on the platform. But again, just just going back to looking at this, you know, from a very basic point of view from, from the patient's perspective, right? So like when I go onto the SolveCare network, uh, I would have an option of different healthcare providers that are listed there, right? So first question, like how would a healthcare provider first become a part of the SolveCare network? And is there any sort of like a reputation system? So like, for example, if somebody is providing better healthcare or has better customer experience, they go up higher uh, within the network versus somebody who's not doing such a great job. Yeah, so that's a very... In, uh, nuanced question. So first is that every care network on our platform has a role specific eligibility criteria that you define. So it generates a smart contract, which basically says, okay, how do we know that Pradeep is a doctor? Uh, and can he join this network? So there are four ways you can configure the smart contract. You can say, we're going to give Pradeep an invite code, which means his invite code is the only way he can join. An invite code will be sent to people we already trust and know. So if you, I'm a known entity and I am working in the hospital and I have a clinical ID, then they'll give me the code. So this is one simple way where they can control access to the network. The second way is that they can ask me to register into the network. And based on the registration, then the registration data can be checked against a uh, smart contract that says this doesn't have enough data for us to let him in. He's not a, he's not a doctor. You can add to that a verification contract which says, I'm going to have a third party verify his credentials. I need a token from a credentialing entity, which says that Pradeep's college transcripts and medical degrees legitimate. So here is his credentialing token and you can use that. And once I have the token, I can let him into the network. And the fourth way you can do that is you can combine all of these things and make a custom 
you know, eligibility contract. So you can string or chain these various contracts into a much more powerful eligibility. Um, and then final game of this is to have actually a, a chain on which I can independently, which is our layer two chain, which the care chain model, where I can independently have my credentials verified by peers, which is the next phase of this eligibility, where I can have a, a uh, on the chain, a set of uh, participants who can, who are already proven to be on the chain to have certain credentials, and they can verify my credentials and issue my token, which lets me into the network. In the end, I need to have a token in my hand or in my wallet that proves to the network I'm trying to join that I am who I am. It can be a DID token, it can be a ZK token, it can be a competency token. And depending on what the network wants, if I don't have the right token in my wallet, I'm not going to join. That's the way it works. So uh, if you're putting my uh, adversarial hat on, right? So what is the penalty if I let in uh, a wrong guy? I mean, a, a guy who's not not qualified, for example. Is there Are there any penalties or? Uh, am I, is it like a web of trust where, uh, if, if, if one guy, if somebody is discredited, the guy who sponsored him is also discredited or loses, uh, loses eligibility? Uh, do you have any, I, I, I kind of get the sense that that's, uh, it's, it can be a complex question, but overall, do you have mechanisms like that? Sure. So the answer is this, that the, the credentialing of a clinical provider in healthcare is not foolproof today. Uh, but what you need to do to defend yourself that you is to show that you did all the due diligence. You don't have a liability if you took all the necessary measures and you went through the proper steps to perform the due diligence. And those steps that were used to perform due diligence were regulatory-wise acceptable in both the, the country of the patient or the country of the provider. So in a nutshell, the, what you have to have to defend your yourself in court is to have full audit trail, which your chain will give you, that you did ask for the information, you did receive the records, you did have them reviewed by a, a professional, you did issue, you did ask all the questions. Now, if the other party is intent on committing fraud, and they are so articulate and so competent at committing fraud, that that no reasonable process would have caught them, then you are absolved of of, uh, of liability because you did everything right. Now, on the other side is a competent fraudster. Well, then the liability shifts there. Uh, let's talk about, then you're talking about peer review tokens. So when you have peer review and 10 people reviewed somebody's token and 10 out of 10 approved that token and this person's token uh, as basis for getting the token turns out to be false, yeah, they're all going to lose reputation, no doubt. Or they may lose their right to even review people. Because there is a monetary advantage, monetary benefit to reviewing people. And that is tied to your reputation. And if your reputation goes down, nobody wants you to review their, their uh, credentials. Uh, you're not going to have much weightage in the, in the market. So obviously say open market economy in that sense. But key point here is just because there's a peer review competency token doesn't mean the network that I'm authoring as an insurance company is valid in my mind. That doesn't just because a, Pradeep have is a token saying, I've been peer reviewed by 10 other endocrinologists and I'm a certified endocrinologist. And look, 10 other certified endocrinologists have given me this token saying, uh, signed off on this token saying, yep, he's real and he's gone to the right education. He's continuing to keep up his education level. He's really an endocrinologist. Doesn't mean insurance company is going to accept me. They can still demand as part of the joining process. Token as one proof, they may still say, I want to see transcripts. So, there is no single formula. Every entity, be it the patient, the provider, the pair, has to be able to determine if what the other party is saying about themselves is acceptable. So when a, when I interact between a patient and a doctor, that interaction allows me as a patient to look at their tokens and say, I don't trust this doctor. His tokens are from companies that I don't know. Uh, none of the entities that issued his tokens are somebody I trust. And you don't have to interact with that doctor anymore. So this relationship-based system restores the power to both sides of the relationship. In an A-B relationship, A and B are equal. If A doesn't want to talk to B or B does not trust A, then that relationship will not proceed because the two wallets will not handshake. Right. 
So uh, moving on a little bit. So just one other thing I wanted to uh, make sure that we touched on, and that's regarding the data itself, right? So we've got uh, obviously patient data out here. We've got doctor transcripts. Doc- or there's a ton of confidential information. This obviously it'll be in your wallets and your secured wallets, but there's also the need to transmit this to, I mean, there will be transactions and you're transmitting it to other people in the network. We've uh, said that, uh, yeah, okay, the participants of the roles uh, in your network are invited uh, based on their competency. But from a end user perspective, how, how do I know that this data is for example, like if I go to the U.S. again, how, how does the U.S. government know that this data is HIPAA compliant? Uh, have you gone through the compliance uh, procedures for your data ledger? Uh, or is that not even part of the data ledger? It's a higher level thing. And I'm, I'm basically not sure if that, that's the case. Yeah, so data is not HIPAA compliant ever. The process of handling the data is the compliance part. So HIPAA basically says fundamentally enforces that when I share data with you, you have the right to receive it, you will hold it in custody in a safe place, and you will not use it for any permission, uh, any uh, non-permitted use, and that whenever I want it back, you have to give me a copy. That's HIPAA. So in terms of data itself, well, data is data, but HIPAA compliance is achieved by implementing processes. So in our care networks, you in our platform, you can design GDPR compliant network, you can design HIPAA compliant network, because you are defining what data can be exchanged under what circumstances given what consents between A and B. That's part of your care journey definition. You're also defining whether when A shares data with B, can B forward to C without consent or not? And if the B can forward to C, then who is C's role? Can I just randomly forward to anybody or does C have to be a specialist or a nurse. So in doing so, you can implement in our system what has never been done before, which is a chain of custody that extends beyond my own wallet. So just because Mm. I sent you a care card with electronic medical records attached to it does not give you the unlimited right to do whatever you want with my card. You can, for example, unless I give permission, even if you forward it to Krishna, The fact that you forward the care card from your wallet to Krishna's wallet, when it arrives in Krishna's wallet, it will be unreadable because A did not give permission to B to forward that data. But if Krishna does have a right to see it because he's, let's say, uh, been invited to join the care model, he's the the physician in charge of the surgical department, and he is not my direct physician, but he has the authority, Krishna can request a key from my wallet and say, hey, you know, here is who I am. I am the chief of surgery. I need to see the surgical records that I got from Nikhil, who is a surgeon who performed surgery on you. And I could give you a to- on real time a token to see that data because now I right. know who you are. So the fact that I share my data should not make me helpless is the point. And HIPAA okay. doesn't go that far. HIPAA doesn't protect me. HIPAA only says don't give Nikhil. Nikhil should only receive data from Pradeep. And it's Nikhil's responsibility to protect that data, we are saying, yeah, but we we shouldn't trust the party who received the data blindly, let's maintain the chain of custody. So we go further than HIPAA can go because HIPAA can't envision that. And in GDPR, there's the opposite. The GDPR says, if you're holding Pradeep's data and he wants to be forgotten, you have to be forgotten. But except in healthcare, that's not legal in itself. The fact Mm -hmm. that I went to go see a doctor, I can't tell the doctor to delete all my records because I want to be forgotten because they are your records also. And I can first tell you, please forget me, then come around and sue you later and say you mistreated me, but all the records are gone. So obviously GDPR assumes in the commercial sense of an unauthorized data collection that you must be, you know, it's in the context of Facebook collecting data on you. But in the context of an AB relationship where I agree to share my records with you, I give up my right to be forgotten, right? Because you, you can't just go to the bank and say, hey, Forget that I've ever been a customer of yours. Just delete all my records. And the fact that I embezzle a million dollars from the bank, just forget it. GDPR gives me the right to be forgotten. No, it doesn't. Uh, no. So in that sense, you can build very powerful GDPR, better than GDPR system solutions on our platform. Because you just need to define the relationship model and the custody model, which is very easy to do. You can do it in 10 minutes. 
but it brings out the power of the platform to actually do things in the traditional web two world would be damn near impossible. Cool. And and so I'm assuming this, but uh, I wanted to ask the question anyway. I'm assuming that all the data that is passed in between is then so signed in some form and encrypted so that the people who don't have the keys cannot unencrypt it. Correct. Uh, and the and data itself doesn't go on the blockchain. Okay. What goes on the chain is a transaction saying wallet A sent a transaction to wallet B using this type of a card with this kind of an attachment, but it doesn't actually have the content because content remains in either wallet A or wallet B, but the transaction between two wallets gets written to the chain because that's where the smart contract says, no, 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 you can't do that. Uh, okay. So that's the point. Yeah. Thanks. So I think uh, in the interest of time, let's move on a little bit. Thanks for that. Uh, in terms of the way you have described it so far to me, software.care, it sounds a really compelling uh, solution. So given all the happenings in the blockchain side today, do you actually see that there is a, you know, a future over here and uh, that do you have any concrete plans or a roadmap that you could share that, that, that we could uh, go into? Yeah, so I think it's very, in the end, healthcare is super complex, but if you bring it down to what are we really doing as a humanity? What are we trying to serve? We are trying to serve people to live longer, healthier, happier lives without unnecessary cost and friction and pain. So how do we then directly focus on that? With all the power and technology we have built, and we are very proud of the fact that we built a fabric that the world, the healthcare world needs and has dared in never dare to imagine that such a platform could exist or could be available and let alone it be affordable. So we have solved a lot of the tech, you know, and adoption issues that I as a CIO would have in my head if somebody came to me and said, look at solve care. So that part is done. Now, where does it take us? So we are approaching this problem from sort of three very clear dimensions. First is focus on the top 10 disease conditions that are going to impact majority of humanity. So if you look at the data, last 50 years and the next 50 years projection, you know, 4 billion plus people will suffer from and ultimately pass from the same 10 disease conditions, hypertension, diabetes, you know, kidney failure. These are well understood, statistically proven, and all the demographic data is pointing towards these diseases will kill more than half of humanity that exists today. Natural cause, of course, they will be, people will pass from old age as well, but these diseases will compound their their later stages in life. So what can we do to build, solve that issue by making that process, first, prolong the life, second, improve quality of life, third, reduce cost of life in terms of the disease cost. So we are focused on launching 10 disease-centric networks that address these disease conditions. But because these diseases exist in relationship to each other, what's called comorbidity, all these networks must talk to each other. So this is one dimension, which is our our vision for one platform, one wallet, every disease condition that will impact 4 billion people and reputable clinical models that are in place for you to be able to deal with them. This is what we call the pure consumer or grandma-centric view. Mm -hmm. Then there is a second view, which is the B2B view, where we are working with hospitals, insurance companies, and uh, employee benefit administrators and government agencies to say to them, look, you're already faced with a demographic time bomb. You have growing needs and decreasing availability of resources. So why don't you use our platform to automate the current relationships, but more importantly, develop new relationship models where you have more patient engagement, more patient ownership, less bureaucracy, less friction, less waste. So you can build care networks that not only replicate your current business model, the way it works today, but you can very quickly innovate and incrementally improve the business models for all its inherent inefficiencies that you have. So that's a B2B go-to-market sales strategy that on which we have a totally different arm of the company focused on. And then we have the third dimension, which is the innovation side, where we have lots of companies with great ideas. People are innovating in healthcare, trying to change things, but they lack the ability to operationalize their solution. And even if they build one, it won't fit any existing solution framework. So insurance company will never use it because you're too much an outlier. So by innovating on our platform, you actually become part of the overall ecosystem. And even if you are trying to innovate on, let's say, a particular disease condition, 
it can still interact with the appointment system, the payment systems, and all the other capabilities. So you don't innovate in a vacuum. You innovate on a fabric, which is continuously expanding. So that fabric lets all the innovations to correlate and interact with each other. That being the community view, as we call it. So you have the consumer view, you have the client view, and you have the community view. And we are approaching this problem all three at the same time. So, so, to, so to just quickly kind of dig in and kind of maybe talk about a concrete example of one of these exa- uh, innovations. Could you perhaps talk about your uh, collaboration or partnership with Uber and uh, how, how that innovation came about? So in, Uber is a partner and Uber Health is a division within Uber that's really focused on and automating the transportation component of a healthcare uh, recipients. So why take an ambulance all the time when you can actually take a car? And of course, you're incapacitated and you cannot drive yourself. But ambulance costs six hundred dollars for the round for the trip, and you know, an Uber ride might cost you thirty. And the government, mm-hmm. if government is paying for that ride, why not offer Uber as an alternative to ambulance rides as a simple use case? Right. So Uber as a partner is a service on the platform. So any network can use or introduce into their network between any two roles and Uber card, where either A or B can pay for it or even C can pay for it, but A can issue the card to B for B to come visit A and C can pay for the card. Simple example would be that let's say, you know, you have an elderly person living in rural Nevada, rural Nebraska, and if they need to go, if they need a dialysis every week, uh, you're going to have to send a specific vehicle to their house to get them into the dialysis center on time because missing dialysis would exacerbate their condition and cost a lot more. So typically that service would be paid for by the county or by the state, ultimately funded by the federal government and might cost you $600 in transportation round trip each month. Why not issue a Uber card which appears in the patient's wallet, but more importantly, the car appears at their doorstep on a scheduled time, accounting for the traffic and the distance and their appointment so that they don't miss their appointment and the same, and another ride will take them back. And, and this way, you're, you will have reduced absenteeism, and which has a lot of cost associated with that anyway. And the government could pay for that card because you're going to send the ambulance otherwise, which is going to cost a lot more to the taxpayer. So in this scenario, patient A has to go visit dialysis center B, but party C, the Medicaid agency, can issue the Uber card based on medical necessity to the patient's wallet, and the booking is automatic. So that whole Management of this, you know, health-related transportation is what Uber Health does as a service. So we embedded that service into the platform. It doesn't mean that every network needs it or will use it. But if there is a care network targeting elderly people who are incapacitated and don't have transportation, then you would introduce that card. Or you could do that into the wallets that qualify. So this gives you that very granular capability uh, as as a feature of the platform. So everything in our platform is ultimately a card. So you yeah. have basically an Uber card that you can inject into a wallet, which will give them the Uber ride capability. Cool. Evan, uh, that, that sounds really, really interesting. And uh, uh, also efficient, like you said, right? Uh, an ambulance ride is 600 bucks. Uh, I mean, if you're not if you don't need the specialist uh, services that an ambulance provides, uh, uh, a scheduled card does uh, just as well. So uh, I think this is a great time to or a great place to conclude. Just want to give my thanks, Pradeep. This has been a really interesting conversation, very eye-opening, and uh, uh, it sounds really exciting uh, to see uh, the opportunities available and uh, you know these kind of concrete use cases uh, for well thought through right uh, use cases for a blockchain yeah and i just want to echo the same as as what nikhil just mentioned i think it was a very fascinating conversation you know on the show we've always looked to kind of explore different technological innovations that happen in the blockchain space but at the same time you know we we try and focus on what it really means for real world applications and Healthcare has always been a very interesting space, you know, with a lot of potential. And we are glad to have had the opportunity to speak to you about your solution and uh, how it can revolutionize the delivery of healthcare across the world. Thank you very much, gentlemen. And it's a pleasure. I think I would like to say just one thing in the end. You know, when we started SolveCare, we started with the idea that we're going to make grandma more able to take care of herself. 
And really what that means through extension is that she should have more choices. She should be able to be supported by her family. She should be able to use the system without having to get a PhD because she's not going to do that. And if she's probably semi-literate and does not have full control over, you know, fingers and joints. So it really is about the individual who needs care and getting them the care that they need in a manner they can trust and utilize. So that's why the wallet, the platform, the cards, the chain was all built around grandma in mind. And that's, I think, the big difference between everything I did before, where we were building technology to serve stakeholders and entities and organizations and interoperability. Everybody but grandma was in my mind as a CIO. And I was always wondering, but is, where is the patient in this whole trillion dollar spend? And Solvecare actually said and took on the mission of let's bring grandma into the picture. Let's give her a tool called wallet that she can actually use. And that gives her access to every health scenario and condition and service provider that she will need in her lifetime. And if we do that, then we will drive blockchain adoption. We'll, we'll transform humanity's experience with healthcare. We will save trillion dollars or more a year in cost. And more importantly, we're going to give people a better life journey. So that's where ultimately blockchain, Web3, AI should all be working towards is to give us and our children and our parents a better life. And that's really what we are trying to do with self-care. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, I think that's a great note to end this on. I mean, anything that we build in, in blockchain or AI, it has to be grandma friendly. So once again, Pradeep, thank you for your time and uh, all the best to your team. Thank you. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Once again, that was Pradeep Goel from Solvecare. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Spotify. Also, you can learn more about us at bcdialogues.com. Thanks again for joining. See you next time.